Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you again for your glory and for your greatness, Lord, for just an incredible time of worship. Lord, just knitting our hearts together, singing your praises for the celebration of baptism and a new soul, Father. Uh, committed to your kingdom. Thank you for the opportunity now to open the truth of your word. It's foundational. It's absolute truth. Father, it's, it's the message upon which we can uh, build our lives. And so I pray that as we open your truth this morning, you would speak clearly to us, Father. I pray we would understand, be challenged, and through the power of the Spirit, Lord, may we be changed and convicted and transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, you can grab one in the seat in front of where you're sitting. It's the black hardbound book. Take that book out. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, which is actually page 1001 in that book. We are continuing our sermon series that we've entitled Greater. Study through the book of Hebrews. We're just walking verse by verse and understanding and being reminded of the glory and the beauty and the greatness of Jesus. And so we've already seen in our study, really in the first chapter, how he's greater than the angels, he's greater than the Old Testament prophets, he's the greatest message from the Lord, greater than the kings. We've talked about being greater than material possessions. And then last week in Hebrews chapter 2, we came to the first of five warning passages. Remember, there are five specific places in the book of Hebrews that remind us of his greatness, but also warn us about very specific things. And I just want to remind you from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the warning from last week. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And so last week, we talked about the greatness of Christ. We talked about his salvation, the great salvation that he's offered us. And we talked about the danger, if we don't pay close attention, if we're not reminded on a regular basis of that greatness, we're not reminded of that great salvation, if we forget about how good Jesus is and we forget about his goodness, we drift. Right, and I believe we live in a world of drift, don't we? I believe the vast majority of believers, if we were honest, have at some point in their lives, and maybe they're even struggling with it now, have walked through this idea of drift. Because we're not careful, we find ourselves just kind of slowly moving away from the things of the Lord. And so we're reminded in Hebrews chapter 2 to be warned against drifting. Now this morning we're going to jump right in to verse 5, and we're going to continue with our theme of greatness. So Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 5, we have it on the screen. You can follow along in the Bible as well. The writer of Hebrews. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You make him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Let me give you some truth here. And again, our, our goal every Sunday morning is to read the truth of God's Word, to pull out that truth and understand that truth, and then figure out how we can apply it to our lives. So here's the first truth I want you to get this morning, number one. Jesus is greater than our suffering and pain. Jesus is greater than our suffering and pain. So let me just kind of say this up front to kind of let you know where we're going and, and maybe draw you in a little bit. I understand in a church this size with three services, there are a lot of people that come and go through the doors on a Sunday morning and Wednesday night. I understand there's a lot of pain and suffering that we deal with. I, sometimes you guys let me in on some of that in your life, and sometimes I don't hear about it, but I understand there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering, and some of you probably came this morning with some baggage you're carrying. Something that happened yesterday or last week or last month or last year or what seems like a lifetime ago, and you're still kind of toting that baggage around with you, and there's pain and there's suffering and there's heartache, and you just need to be reminded up front. We're going to walk through it together this morning. You need to be reminded up front, up front that regardless of whatever pain you're dealing with, whatever suffering you've had over the course of your life, Jesus is greater than that pain. You understand that? Jesus is greater than that suffering, and, and some of y'all need to be reminded of that this morning. Now, one of the interesting things about the book of Hebrews is that the writer connects us to the Old Testament, right? The, the, the writer of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians, and so they would have been familiar with the Old Testament, and so he wanted to kind of make this connection and kind of speak their language and help them understand exactly who Jesus was based on the teachings of the Old Testament. And he does it again here in verse 6. In fact, if you notice in Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, he says, it has been testified somewhere, and then he kind of gives this quote. He's actually quoting from Psalm chapter 8. Now, if you're looking at Hebrews chapter 2, you'll see that it says, What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. That's based right out of Psalm chapter 8. Now, it's an interesting question that the writer of Hebrews asks us in verse 6. He asks us this question, What is man? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Now, I could walk around uh, in, in this congregation right now and ask everybody kind of to find man, and everybody would probably give me different sort of definitions. I can kind of go out into the world and ask for a definition of man or human beings and probably get a different sort of a definition. And, and I kind of have this personal concern, and, and some of you probably shared, but, but as I kind of understand uh, society and the direction of certain things, it seems like human beings and especially life in general is less and less important than it used to be. Do you see that? you feel the same way? There are all sorts of things we can kind of explain about that and, and talk about. But one of the ways it kind of manifests itself, right, and everybody's got different opinions about this, but when people want to talk about saving whales while at the same time aborting babies, there's a problem. We, we've misunderstood exactly where man is. And so I think it's a fair question to ask, who is man? What, what does the Bible say about man? Because we can't take our understanding of human beings and even life from pop culture or from our own opinions. We can take it only from God's Word. And God's Word is very clear. 
In fact, if you were to look at Hebrews chapter 2 and connect that to Psalm chapter 8, they both really look back to Genesis chapter 1. I don't want you to turn to Genesis 1, but I want you to listen to it. Because in Genesis chapter 1, especially verses 26 and following, God gives us a very clear picture of exactly who we are. Genesis 1:26. then God said, let us make man, there it is, in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? So there's this interesting idea, and it's been debated for centuries what it actually means and how we can kind of flesh this out. But there's this idea in Genesis 1 very clearly that we are created in the image of God. Now, you need to understand something. Nothing else in creation, nothing else in creation is created in the image of God. That means we are the highest order. All things that are created, God created us at the top. Right? So you think about the beauty of creation and, and all that God has done and all that we see. And when God looks at us, he sees that we're, we're more beautiful even than the most beautiful sunset. Do you understand that? When he looks at you, he sees more beauty than in a, the most beautiful starry night, than in the most beautiful waterfall. Than any kind of imaginable scene you can think of, God sees us as greater and more beautiful. And we need to be reminded of that, right? Because sometimes we struggle with self-image or how important we are or how good we are or how smart we are or nobody likes us or you fill in the blanks, right? We've all struggled with those things. That's what the world teaches. That may be what we think, but that's not what the Bible teaches, you are a unique gift created in the image of God with divine purpose. You understand that? Like God didn't create us to just wander the world aimlessly. Like sometimes we feel like in our lives, I'm not quite sure where I'm going. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. I'm not quite sure what the plan is long term. And we struggle with that, right? And, and I get it. That's a real thing that we have to think through and pray through. But God didn't create us to wander aimlessly and just hope for the best. God created us in his image with divine purpose, with a divine plan. And so the next time you kind of start feeling bad for yourself or you think you're not good enough, just be reminded of this truth. Just be reminded of God's goodness. Just be reminded of his image. Just be reminded of the divine purpose you have. So what's God calling you to do? Like, what is your purpose? What's God's plan for your life? Here's one. What, what are you missing out on because you're not trusting God like you ought to? What, what plan or, or blessing or direction might he have for your life that you can't quite understand because you've drifted from the things of the Lord. You're not really listening to what he says anymore. You're kind of making your own path. You're forgetting that you're created in his image with divine purpose. What are we missing out? Now, here's the struggle, right? This is where the difficulty arises. God created us perfectly he put us in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden, right? We know the story of Adam and Eve. He walked in the quiet of the day. It's a beautiful picture of his relationship and his love for Adam and Eve and the close relationship he designed us to be in. We remember that story. The problem is Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world and everything changed, right? Sin entered the world and destruction and, and death came. And Romans 5.12 explains it like this. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
Right? Death entered the world, sin entered the world, everything changed. And we become aware at some point in the Old Testament, some through, through history, that we needed something more than we had ourselves. Right? People became aware of the need of a Savior, and so that was Jesus. And we, we know the story about Jesus, right? We know that he came, and he lived, and he was perfect, and he gave his life on the cross for our sins. But here's what I want you to understand. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews is getting at here in chapter 2, and I want to walk through this. I want you to see it. All that Jesus did for us, all that Jesus accomplished for us wasn't easy, right? He went through great suffering and great pain in order to do it, right? So listen to what the scripture says. Pull up verse 9. I want you to see this. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says this. We see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We're talking about Christ here. Now listen, here's the definition or here's the picture of who Jesus is. Crowned with glory and honor. What's the next word? More than one person. Crowned with glory and honor. What's the next word? Because of suffering and death. You see that? Now think about this. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because he walked through suffering, he walked through pain, he walked through death, right? In his perfect obedience to the Father, he was crowned with glory and with honor. You understand that? Now here's how Paul says it, Philippians chapter 2, speaking of Jesus. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus was obedient. Jesus gave his life. Jesus suffered and died. And God exalted him because of his faithfulness. Now think about this. Just think about the life that Jesus lived, right? Because of the great pain, because of the great suffering, because of all he did in his obedience to the Father, he was crowned with glory and with honor, right? That means that Jesus overcame that pain, he overcame that suffering for the greater purpose, right? Jesus is greater than our pain, Jesus is greater than our suffering, because he endured that for the cross, for the sake of the kingdom, so you could be saved, so your sins could be forgiven, you understand that? It's a beautiful reminder of us, right? The, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews wants us to kind of get this picture that as, as we struggle, even in the midst of our pain, that God understands our struggling. You, you ever wonder some, sometimes if God hears your prayers? You know, you ever think like that? I have conversations with people sometimes, and they say, I just, I just don't feel like the Lord's hearing my prayers. I feel like they're, the, kind of the old phrase is they're hitting the ceiling, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to send them up, but I don't feel like they're doing anything. I don't, I don't sense the presence. I don't sense whatever. I'm not sure, and, and they would may, maybe not say it like this, but they're kind of thinking, I'm not sure God understands or hears or even cares about all I'm going through. And maybe some of you are experiencing that right now. We, we need to be reminded of the pain and the suffering that Christ endured. And because he endured that pain and because he endured that suffering, because he was obedient to the Father, he's crowned now with glory and with honor, and he understands what we go through. He's greater than our pain. He's greater than our suffering. Now let's continue. Look at verse 9 again. But we see him for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because, that word is so important, of the suffering of death. 
so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Right? He's going to make this connection to us now through his death. Look at verse 10. For it's fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should be made the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in faith and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. We've seen that Jesus is greater than suffering. We've seen that Jesus is greater than pain. Here's the second truth I want you to get this morning. Jesus is greater than death. Jesus is greater than death. If you start talking with people about pain and suffering and death, those are the types of things that almost every person in the world fears. Nobody wants to endure suffering. Nobody wants to endure pain. Nobody wants to think about death, right? We understand that. But as we look at the example that Jesus gave us as he endured those things, and because he died on the cross and rose again, Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has given us hope. Now I want you to see the connection that the writer here again makes with the Old Testament. This is just fascinating to me. And those of you that have been with us for, for a little while understand I just I love the Old Testament. I love preaching out of the Old Testament. I love thinking about the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so it's always fascinating to me when one of the writers of the New Testament references and kind of makes this connection with the Old Testament. And in the book of Hebrews, we see this time and time again. We've already seen it a good bit in the first chapter. We're seeing it now in the second chapter. It's going to happen throughout. But there's a connection here that I want you to make, that the writer wants us to make. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Now, if you didn't understand or weren't quite sure where that came from, you wouldn't make the connection. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. That's found in Psalm chapter 22, Verse 22, in fact, Psalm 22, 22 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of congregation. I will praise you. It's an exact word for word. So the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm chapter 22. Now, some of you might think that's interesting. That's a neat little kind of side note. What's the big deal? Why does it matter? Well, Psalm chapter 22 has some real significance to Jesus. You may not remember this, or when I say it, you'll probably be reminded of it, but there's a very important passage of Scripture. There's a very, very important moment in the life of Jesus when he was on the cross that you'll be reminded of when I read it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 45. Just listen. This is Jesus on the cross. The Bible says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we remember that phrase that Jesus uttered. We remember the pain he was going through in that moment. We remember the suffering he had endured. We remember he was at the very edge of death, right? Pain, suffering, death. That quote in Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus speaks is a direct quote from Psalm chapter, you want to guess, 22, which the writer of Hebrews has just quoted for us. 
So the writer of Hebrews is making this connection to the Jewish people. Remember now, they were looking for Messiah. They grew up looking for Messiah. They grew up hoping one day to see Messiah. They didn't know who that would be really from the beginning of time up until Jesus came. They looked for who that Messiah would be. They wondered. They were anticipating that day when he would arrive. And so the writer of Hebrews is connecting them to the Old Testament, helping them understand, listen, this guy that you heard about, this guy that you read about, this guy that you looked for through the centuries is Jesus, right? And we talk about Psalm chapter 22 and we talk about Hebrews chapter 2 and the connection that was made there. The people of Hebrews would have made that connection. But here's what I want you to see and here's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at, I think. We think about death on the cross and we think about the pain and the suffering and all the physical things that Jesus endured, right? We can only imagine how incredibly painful and excruciating that would have been. But the thing I think we miss oftentimes is it wasn't just a physical pain, there was really a spiritual pain as well. Because when Jesus took on the sins of the world, it wasn't just in a physical sake, he was being crucified on the cross. Jesus took on the sins of the world, which means all the sins that had ever been committed and all the sins that would ever be committed were heaped upon Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt kind of the the pain of sin, right? The Bible teaches that sin leads to death. I don't know if you've ever experienced the pain of sin or the destruction that causes. I know you have. We all have. But just imagine all the pain of all the sin of your lifetime being expressed all in one moment. Now imagine all the pain of all lifetimes that have ever lived and all lifetimes that will ever live being placed upon you all in one moment. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. It's incredible. It's incredible for us to understand and think about and remember that the Lord suffered for us. He gave his life for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He understands pain. He understands death. He understands suffering, right? And we need to be reminded of this. Because as we deal with the struggles of life, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever death we have to endure, and we've all endured those, we've all understood and we've felt that pain, we need to be reminded of the closeness of Christ. We need to be reminded he's walking with you through this moment. You understand that? There is absolute hope in Jesus. Now I want you to notice the connection he makes here, right? Because it's very easy for us to say, I I get it. I get it, but I don't necessarily sense it, right? I don't necessarily feel it. Look at verse 14, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Look at the connection. Pull that scripture up. Listen to the connection that we find with Jesus. Since, therefore, the children, that's us, share, that word is important, share in flesh and blood, right? We share in flesh and blood with Jesus. Fully God, fully man. He himself, likewise, partook of the same things. You understand that? Same struggle, same pain, same suffering, same death. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. You understand that? Jesus understands pain, he understands suffering, he understands death. But here's the, the kind of where the rubber meets the road for the Christian. This is important for us to get. Death for the Christian is not the end. Did you know that? That means a lot if you've struggled with it before. 
You know, I, I do funerals fairly regularly, and, and by and large, they're people that I know and people of this church, and I know their story, and I know their commitment to Christ. And those kind of funerals are, as, as hard as they are, they're beautiful reminders of the faithfulness of the Lord. It's very easy to do a funeral of a, a blessed saint who's lived a life glorifying and honoring the Lord for a long time. But I often think in funerals for people that don't know Christ, for people that have never experienced his love and his mercy, what it must be like because for them, death is the end. There's nothing else after that. But we're reminded because of his faithfulness and because of his goodness and because of his mercy for us that as he rose from the dead, not only is he greater than our suffering, not only is he greater than our pain, Jesus is greater even than death. Now let's finish up. Look at verse 17. Therefore, right? That's always important. Because of his pain, because of his suffering, because of his death, because he was crowned with glory and honor. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, right? He couldn't have done what he did if he was not fully human. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, here's an important word, propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Here's the third truth. Right? He's greater than suffering, greater than pain, greater than death. Number three, Jesus is greater even than our sins. Jesus is greater even than our sins. I love how he makes the connection here to us. And there's, there's this personal connection. And I don't want you to necessarily look back through, but if you've got your Bibles right there, just notice a few things how Jesus identifies himself with us. Look at verse 10. It says he's bringing many sons to glory. He is the founder of their salvation. Right? It's his idea. Did you know that? Salvation is Jesus' idea. He's the founder. Verse 11, he's not ashamed to call them brothers. There's the connection. Verse 12, we are the children of God. Verse 14, we share in his flesh and blood. Verse 16, he helps the offspring of Abraham that are his people. But maybe the greatest connection and the most important connection is found in verse 17 and 18. Listen to it again. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, right? Fully God, fully man, so that, in order that, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Remember, we talked about in our first sermon in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Right? He's a great high priest. He offers us forgiveness. Right? What the priests of the Old Testament could not do, Jesus fulfilled. Right? They could only offer forgiveness for a time individual sins. Jesus has been able as our high priest, as the great high priest, to forgive sins once and for all, right? So we're talking about him as our high priest. It says he's a high priest in service to God. Now look at this next phrase, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. How many have used the word propitiation in the last couple of weeks in a sentence? That's what I thought. Now, it's funny because you read kind of church growth books and pastoral books, and sometimes they'll say, listen, don't use churchy words. It confuses people, and they don't understand it. And I get that, and I understand that to a, to a sense. But I also think sometimes it's good to study and understand things we don't necessarily understand. And this word has a very specific meaning, the word propitiation. It's found in several other verses in the New Testament. But it, but it basically means to render favorable, or watch, to appease one who is angry. That's what propitiation means. So when the Bible says that he makes propitiation for our sins, 
it means he's appeasing the anger or the wrath of someone. Now, that someone is God the Father. Now, we talk about the love and we talk about the, the joy and the hope. and That is all 100% absolutely true. But the thing we don't like to talk about sometimes is the punishment and the wrath of sin. I, I took a church history class in seminary. And one of the interesting discussions, we were just kind of walking through the centuries studying the church. And like in every century, in every kind of era, every uh, time of the church, there was always something that you kind of can pinpoint that they missed. Or they just did it wrong. They didn't understand it, we don't think. Or they didn't do it the right way. Or they did it a way we don't think is real biblical. And there's always something of the church. I think in 200 years from now, if the Lord hadn't come back and there's some guy or lady sitting in a seminary class and they're looking back at the church of America, especially in our generation, I think the thing that they'll say is that they minimize the effects of sin. I think that's what they'll say. It's just a lot more fun and a lot easier not to think about it. <laughs> it's just a lot easier to kind of sweep it under the rug, to not be concerned with it, to not think a lot about it. But we need to be reminded that Jesus suffered and died because of the wrath of the Father upon sin. You understand that? If the Lord didn't hate sin, if the Lord wasn't wrathful against sin, nothing would have had to happen. Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But because of our sin, because we separated ourselves from the Lord, because the Lord hates sin and can't look upon it, Jesus stood in our place and when he did, he took the propitiation. He took the wrath of the Father that should have fallen on us. And he said, Adam, I love you so much. You don't have to take the wrath of the Father. I'll take it for you. And I'll suffer. And I'll feel pain. And I'll die. And I'll give you a chance to overcome your sins. Not because of what you've done, Adam, but because of what I've done. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's greater than our pain. He's greater than our suffering. He's greater than death. He's greater than sin. I want you to see and understand the greatness of Christ. We're going to finish with something a little bit different this morning. We've got the opportunity with our praise team. Stacy has written a song. And, and she didn't really want y'all to know she did it. I kind of made her uh, do it, and I'm kind of the one that's going to explain it because she would never do that herself. But about seven years ago, she wrote this song, and she kind of packed it away, maybe written a poem at some point in the past or written something creative, and you weren't sure if it was very good, so you hide it in fear that somebody will see it and not like it, right? That's kind of the fear of the writer always, that somebody won't like what they do. So she wrote this song, put it away, and just thought, ah, I'll just kind of store it for a while, and maybe I'll pull it out one day, right? When we started preaching through Hebrews, it's based from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. What is man that you're mindful of him? So it's a song about man and how God loves us, and really it's a picture, and I understand this connection here, that when the Lord looks at us, this is important, when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see us as wonderful and perfect. He sees us as sinful, but when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, the righteousness of Jesus covers our sins. And so he sees us as righteous and holy and perfect, not because of who we are, but because what Jesus has accomplished for us. The song reminds us of that 
glory. It reminds us of that beauty. You know, there, there are many, many great things in the world. There are many, many wonderful things we can be doing. We need to always be reminded Jesus is greater. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the greatness of Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture that reminds us of his suffering, of his pain, of his death, and how he is connected with us through that. He's not isolated. He's not a God that doesn't care. He's not a God that sits somewhere out in the universe and just looks down upon his creation. He walked with us. He suffered alongside us. He died and was obedient. And because of that, You've crowned him with glory and honor. Father, he understands our pain and our suffering and our death and is greater than all those things and now offers us forgiveness for our sins. Father, if there's somebody here this morning who's never received that forgiveness, let them hear the truth. Let them open their ears and their eyes. May they receive you as their personal Savior and we'll praise your name for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. This is a chance for you to respond as we sing together this morning.